Hey, so Lake Mead, we won baseball yesterday, right? State champions. Yes. And then track, right? So guys and girls, individuals, some individuals were like uh, the state winners. And then as a team, guys came in first. Is that right? Girls came in second. Is that how I heard that? Awesome. So we are excited. Lake Mead has been doing so well in sports. Uh, we have an incredible senior class. We're about to take them on a senior trip in the morning. And I and my wife will be part of the chaperone team. Chris is going. Uh, I don't know who else is going. Alexis is going. Nice. So we're going to have a lot of fun chaperoning high school kids. I can't wait. The other day, they asked us, hey, Brad, do you want to sleep overnight here in the lobby? Because the seniors wanted just to camp out in the lobby and on the lawn. I'm like, yes, I would love to do that until about 930. And then I'm leaving. So we camped out. I think we did camp out till 11, right? Then, then, then we left. And then, uh, and then Tyler Sorrells, who is not here today because he's still recovering. I think he slept overnight with those guys, along with Brandon and some other people. So awesome. Oh, to be a senior again, right? Well, hey, we are in the last Sunday of our series on the roadblocks, and we've been in this series to really look at these things that are laid across our path that the enemy has designed to keep us from the destination God wants for us. And so as I was thinking about this, um, this last sermon, I was thinking, what are some final thoughts we really need to chew on? And there's this reoccurring thing we've been saying every service and it's this right here. Lies don't have to be true in order for them to be powerful. They just need to be believed. I really want you to think about that. A lie does not have to be true for it to be powerful. It just has to be believed. Satan really doesn't have any power unless you give him the power because he tricks you into giving him that authority over your life, right? So what we believe has power over us, rather, regardless of if it's true or not. And so what we want to do in this series and in this final time together is really think about what we've been thinking about, thinking about the, the ideas that we allow to have power over us. And so in this final time together, I wanted to really talk about what's kind of been in the background of every one of these sermons, and that's the spiritual warfare that we're in. Because it's not a friend that's laid these roadblocks across your path. These were laid by the enemy who wants to discourage you and disable you. He wants to, he, his roadblocks are a part of a larger strategy where he can try to steal your authority, weaken your resolve, and ruin your life. And so if we give him that opportunity, he's going to take it every time. And so today I want to talk about really getting past your roadblocks. We talked a lot, a lot, about a lot of different roadblocks uh, throughout this series, but I want to do this final sermon and really just talk about them in general. And how do we get past them? Maybe as you've kind of gone through this journey with us, and maybe your roadblock was a, was a difficult you know, relationship that you really still feel wounded from, and, and you haven't forgiven that person, and so that's your roadblock. Or when we were talking with Michelle, we, we kind of explored these, these negative belief patterns that we have. And when Jamie and I were talking, we were talking about the, these insecurities that we struggle with, right? I don't know what your roadblock is, but today we really want to finish on how do we, how do we really get past them? And I think one of the things that really is difficult about this is because we are in a spiritual battle, but sometimes we don't realize it. You know, if we were over in the Ukraine, we walked outside of our front door, we saw a tank, you know, kind of rolling down the street. We'd have no, you know, 
no problem identifying that we were in a battle, right? We see bullet holes on the walls and we'd see the the evidence of of battle all over the place. But this kind of battle isn't so easily discerned, right? It's not so easily seen. It's because it's a spiritual battle. So how do you know if you're in the middle of a spiritual battle? How do you know what a spiritual battle even looks or feels like? I was thinking about that this week and I thought, well, one of the ways for us to really know is with a question. And so I want us to imagine that we had an opportunity to have some coffee, you and I, and, and uh, we were sitting somewhere, and I was able just to kind of look at you and, and, and say, hey, can I ask you a, a really kind of like a personal question, um, and will you be honest with me? And let's say you said, sure, you know, Pastor Brad, t- what, what do you got? And I, and I said, okay, on a scale from one to 10, how free are you? How free am I? You know, you might say, what do you mean? How free? I'm in America. I'm free. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I'm not asking, you know, your political free ex- experience of freedom, right? I, I'm asking you a freedom from things like guilt or shame. How free are you? How free are you from anxiety or anger or hatred? How free are you from expectation or insecurity or lust or addiction? How free are you? Like on a scale of one to 10, like how free are you? And now it's a little hard to kind of measure that, right? Because maybe you kind of feel free now. But again, if you ran into that one person who really did you wrong, you'd be triggered and all of a sudden the flood of, of anger and, 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 and resentment or whatever would come right back in and you would be kind of spinning the rest of the day. So you're really not that free, right? Because that's the point. Um, if somebody can walk into your life today and you'll be triggered, right? That shows that you're still underneath that power, right? And it's not just freedom from uh, certain things. It's also freedom to other things. Like how free are you to love? How free are you to give? How free are you to worship? How free are you to be empathetic, if somebody's hurting, how, how freely do you give your heart to them? How free are you, right? How free are you from and how free are you to? I think that's a powerful question because it's when we realize that we're, we're kind of missing some freedom, we start to see evidence of the enemy's attacks. Let me say this. There's a direct connection between the work of Satan and a sense of slavery, That's exactly what he does. He entangles us slowly but surely. It starts off with this this kind of like temptation to kind of maybe indulge in something. But the next time, it's a little harder to say no. If you give into it, you know, the next time, you just kind of have formed a pattern now or the beginnings of a pattern. I think sometimes because of Hollywood or something, we think that Satan's only work is like demonic possession. Or, well, there's Satan, you know, obviously, right? But, but I think that's just honestly the far end of the spectrum. I think that, you know, as truly real as exorcisms are, and I 100% believe in that, that actual phenomenon, I think that that's just the end of the spectrum of Satan's, you know, continual work to enslave people and some to that point. So I want to ask you a question how, how much freedom do you feel in your soul? Maybe I should ask your spouse or your best friend, right? Like, how easily triggered are you on the road? <laughs> you know, someone cut you off and all of a sudden, you know, now you're chasing them. I mean, how many things do we do, right? 
I, I'll tell you a story. I was, um, I was younger. Uh, I was meeting a pastor for a Bible study. I was in my early 20s. He was new to town, and he wanted to have um, a breakfast at, at a casino. And it was, uh, you know, the old days, you get 99 cent breakfast for like two eggs and two bacons and, and two toasts, right, for 99 cents. I know that inflation, the, the eggs themselves are now worth like $40. But anyway, like, like that, there was a day you could get two eggs and two toasts and two bacons for 99 cents. So we were at this casino. We were walking out after our Bible study, and all of a sudden, this older pastor I was with shouts. So I'm in my early 20s, and my first thing is looking around, like, did anyone see that? Like, this is weird, right? Like, and then I'm looking at him. I'm like, what are you doing? And he said, I couldn't help it. Here's his words. He says, before I met Jesus, I was a compulsive gambler. I haven't been in a casino in decades. I am free. He says, I don't feel any of the oppression of that former addiction. And he just couldn't help it. He's like, man, last time I was in a casino, I could not walk past a slot machine. I could not, I could not be in here. I feel so free. Freedom. Jesus wants us free. Can I get amen to that? He wants us free. Yeah. Amen. I think part of uh, understanding how we get this freedom really requires us understanding a little bit more about how God made our brains. Because how we've been created is really fascinating. Uh, When you first are kind of learning things in life, there's, a, there's a, a feature of your brain and my brain that God's designed that makes learning things kind of, once you've got them down, makes repeating that learned behavior a little easier, right? How many of us parents have helped our child like learn how to ride a bike? You kind of go through that whole process. Um, I won't embarrass Taryn, but it was traumatic for both of us, uh, which ended us in the ER, but that's a different story for a different day. But the, the deal is, right, like once you get it down, if you can live the, through the trauma, of it, you, you can ride your bike for the rest of your life, right? You have the, this ability in, in your brain to, to learn new things. You create these neural pathways in your mind, in your brain, that now make that repetitive action more possible the next time you do that. And that feature that, that God's made us with is great for riding bikes and hitting baseballs and learning how to drive. It's really good that we can do that. But it's not so great when we develop unhealthy thinking patterns and behaviors for coping with stress, rejection, and failure. In fact, some of these pathways started when we were really young. We might have been raised up in an environment where our parents, maybe they didn't mean to do this, but this was just kind of their own baggage, kind of, and they're raising us, and we kind of catch this. But when you get hurt, you know, uh, we have to deal with that pain. And so how are we going to deal with that pain? Maybe some of us, you know, we, we skid our knee, and instead of getting a Band-Aid, we get the ice cream, you know? It's like, oh, this will make it feel better, right? And, we, and, and there was probably nothing, you know, nefarious about that. But, but what mom or dad or whoever or grandma, what they might not have realized is they were starting to kind of make a, an association in your little mind between pain and ice cream. And you make this little connection, whenever I'm hurting, I'm going to reach for the ice cream, right? How many of us have gained 30 pounds wishing that we did it because we were kind of trained that, you know, when I'm in pain, I grab the ice cream. Or how about you go through a difficult situation, right? And, you know, you, you think, you know, I'm really depressed. I really, you know, maybe you got a bad breakup or something and, and you just didn't feel, you know, like you looked good anymore. And you, you know what will help me? 
a trip to the mall. That'll help me, right? And so what you kind of learn to do is whenever you feel depressed is you just go buy an outfit. And now we have maxed out credit cards because we've gone through some bad times. It's like, I've got another, another relationship, which means I'm going to get an extra $5,000 at the end of this relationship when it doesn't go well on my credit card, right? This is that coping mechanism that you kind of develop as you kind of go through life. And some of these are less, you know, hurtful or damaging, but others are even worse. Uh, how many young people grown up in the age of the technology we have today that have explicit images just at their fingertips, and they've kind of learned that when they feel stressed, they're going to look at pornography as a way to deal with that. When they, when they have situations they don't know what to do, you know, I've, I've seen students cut themselves and, and, and different ways of kind of handling that negative belief or that negative situation that's going on. And so this gets stuck in our, in our minds. In fact, neuroscience has now been able to take the MRI imaging of, of human brains and done these brain scans to actually see that brain scans over time reveal that toxic patterns of thinking and behaviors actually cause morphological changes in the brain. Literally, they've scanned brains of, of NFL players, and we've seen news on this, that have been in repeated concussions. And of course, that brain will, will, will show damage to that. But they've also scanned brains of people engaged in you know, long-term porn addiction and have seen similar brain damage. Guys, check this out. Toxic negative beliefs and patterns literally cause brain damage. That's powerful. I mean, I would have never thought that literal changes to your physical brain could happen if you're in a toxic pattern in your thinking. And what's really interesting about all of this isn't so much the psychology or the neurology of it, but how interesting it is that it lines up with scripture. That the very thing we're talking about in scripture are these battle, this battle for ideas, these lies that we believe that we allow to have power over us that change the way we think and then change the way we live. Guys, this is fascinating stuff that scripture's very warnings we can physically now see uh, in an MRI scan of the brain. Like this is actually happening. It's a war. It's a battle over beliefs and ideas. I think what Dallas Willard said is super fascinating. He's, he, he was, he's passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a, a, a Christian philosopher, and he was reflecting on the story of the Garden of Eden. And look what he says about it. I think it's pa powerful. He says, when Satan, took to under, to, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. And it was the idea that God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being. Isn't that interesting? Satan doesn't hit you with a stick. He hits you with an idea. How many of us have been hit with a bad idea? A little whisper from hell. A little distrust. A little seed sown of hatred or envy or lust or jealousy. A little bit of temptation to like, you know, nobody cares about you. You better take care of yourself. You can't trust God. Where's God in all of my pain? Where's God in all of this? Satan with his forked tongue ready to whisper those ideas right into your mind and hopefully into your actions. I want to show you what Paul says in the book of Colossians because this is so powerful. And I really want to just throw this right across the plate to use a baseball metaphor. I want you to catch, hit this. 
because this is powerful. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that came from human thinking, look at this, and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. What's Paul saying? He says, listen, there's a whole lot of thinking out there that humans have come up with that actually originated in hell. These ideas, these high sounding philosophies that are really nonsense. Guys, we all have seen it in our culture. It's nonsense. And it's just out there. And people are thinking, well, that sounds really good. And it actually doesn't. It sounds really crazy. It is insane, right? These ideas, and they have these profound ripple effects on our culture and in our people in our culture. And Paul says, don't let anyone capture. There's so much warfare language in this, these texts today. It's a war. And you and I are the casualties. Our loved ones, our kids are the casualties of this war. Look what Paul says, speaking of more war, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. I tried to highlight all the, all the war imagery in this passage. So we're humans, but I'm not throwing spears and bow, bow and arrows and, you know, if it was today, shooting guns. I'm not using weapons that humans use. Here's the weapons that I'm using. This is what Paul says. I'm using God's mighty weapons. This is going to talk about the truth here in a minute. Not worldly weapons. And what am I going to do with God's mighty weapons? I'm going to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to, to destroy the false arguments. There are some ideas and arguments that are lies that need to be knocked over. And Paul says, I'm engaging in spiritual battle as I take God's truth and I knock over those strongholds that are keeping people captives. Paul was not taking prisoners. He's destroying it all. Are you with me today, church? Now that's kind of a serious su subject. The stronghold language is interesting. Because if you were in the ancient world and you heard the word stronghold, you knew exactly what that was. It would be the fort or fortress or citadel on top of a, of a hill. It would be the thing that you had to overcome if you wanted to take that piece of land, that real estate. Because you could maybe attack all the farmers and, and just easily take the lowland uh, areas. But unless you took out the stronghold, unless you knocked down the fort or the citadel that stood on the city with, behind the walls, because unless you did that, the army was still intact. And as soon as you left, that army would come right back down and be able to reclaim the, the ground you thought you just claimed. The truth is, unless you knock out the stronghold, you don't win the war. And, when Paul, and Paul knows that. We're going to knock out the stronghold. How many of us have strongholds that have been holding us at, in captivity for years, maybe? And he goes on. He says this in verse 5. He says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That phrase... We destroy every proud obstacle. That sounds like a roadblock, right? That's, that's a roadblock, right? And he's like, we're going to destroy these roadblocks. I can see Paul with a stick of dynamite, you know, strapping it to some, some roadblock and just blowing it up. Like, let's just knock it out of the way. God has given us the power to do this if we'll just access it. I want to, to say one more thing about, about what we're learning with modern neurology and the way the brain works as messed up as our brains can get because we've made choices that led us into captivity, the good news is our brains can get rewired. 
The good news is it doesn't have to stay that way. Brains can heal. As long as we access the power that's available to us, we can have our neural pathways rewired from pathways that were once leading us into toxic, negative, stuck thinking into life-giving freedom thinking. Come on, someone. The kind of freedom that comes when you meet King Jesus. That's the kind of freedom that we're, that we're offered. Look what he says in Galatians chapter 5. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. Now I'm going to, I did this in the first service. So I'm going to do this again. Well, I'm going to read this first part. And then after this, I expect, especially this crowd here, to cheer. Okay, you ready? Because this is good news. We're going to cheer at good news here. Okay, ready? So here it is. So Christ has truly set us free. Okay, so we, you guys did great. They did not. So we're going to try, try it again. And I want everyone to do what they did. You ready? Here we go. So Christ has truly set us free. There you go. That's actually really good. It took, it took the, the, the 9 o'clock three tries. So you guys got it in two. Okay. So Christ has truly set us free. But look what he says. Now make sure you stay free. Now make sure you stay free. Now make sure you stay free. I think we've heard kind of from Paul this morning that he wasn't taking, you know, he wasn't messing around. He's not taking prisoners. He's, he's, he's cutting the, the head of the snake off. He's, he's not playing. And so when Paul says, look, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. I think we need to, we need to really hear that the right way. He's worried. He's worried. Because you can not keep that freedom. You can lose it. Not because Satan's stronger than you are and he's kind of, no, because he's, he's cunning and he's, he's a deceiver and he can trick you out of that freedom. Because guys, we that are in Christ are, are protected. Jesus is stronger than any, any foe that he would ever come against. But what Satan's good at doing is he's good at getting us to doubt our own savior. He's, getting, he's good at getting us to be separated from the one who gave his life on the cross. He's good at planting seeds of doubt and thoughts that grow and weeds that just sprout. And before you know it, it's not that Jesus has lost his grip on us. It's that we have run away from him. Their freedom was in jeopardy in Galatia here. Look what he says in chapter four. He says, you're no longer a slave, but God's child. These are really important things for them to hear. He is like trying to make it clear what their actual position is. This is actually who you are. He says, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So he's talking about their true identity. You are a child. You are an heir. Like you have this inheritance waiting for you, kid. Like that's ahead for you, right? He says this. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. That was true. And you were enslaved to beings that are by nature not gods at all. In other words, you were walking around afraid of Zeus and Poseidon. You were, you were sacrificing animals and you were having some kind of witch doctor guy look at the livers and trying to discern like the future and whether it was a good day to go plant your crops or not and if your wife would, would survive childbirth. I mean, it was a very like oppressive culture. And they were constant living in fear. And Paul says, now that you've met Jesus, you have been freed from these powers that aren't gods at all. Verse 9, he says this, but now 
that you've come to know God, excuse me, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak, I love how he talks about this, the weak and worthless basic forces? Like, why would you go back to those weak and basic forces that have no real power? Then he asks a powerful question that I would want to ask all of us, including myself. Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? Do you want to go back into that prison? I think this is really fascinating because for this particular church, they were former Gentiles who used to be afraid of all the pantheon of Rome. But now the problem isn't Rome and the pantheon. They know those gods are, are, are not truly gods. But what's happened in this case is now after Paul left that church, some Jewish teachers came in and started saying, well, Jesus isn't quite enough. Now you need to follow Moses. So it's wild how the pendulum has swung from paganism all the way over to Judaism. But the problem is for Paul, it's the same thing because anything that tries to separate you from Jesus is gonna enslave you. Any idea that tries to put Jesus in some kind of other category other than king of the world, any, anything that does that is gonna lead to slavery. Guys, even things that are quote good can lead you from the, from the truth of Jesus. Satan is a master at tricking people out of their freedom. He tricks people out of their freedom all the time. He can't directly attack you. He can only throw little seeds of ideas in your mind to see what happens. Let me say this, guys, and this is scary. Satan will ultimately lose his battle with God, but that doesn't mean he'll lose his battle with you. I want you to think about that. Guys, we need to stay in Christ protected in the shepherd's hands. We don't want to be one of those sheep risking by wandering. Guys, stay with the shepherd. Stay with the shepherd. Come on, stay with the shepherd. I want to look at one critical teaching on spiritual warfare that Jesus gives. And I think this is powerful. Jesus has just cast a devil out of a young man who was mute, and now he can speak and there in the crowd were some Pharisees, and they, they, they were opponents of Jesus, and they didn't know what to say, and so they come up with this ridiculous thing. Well, he's casting out the devil by the devil's power, and Jesus kind of looks at them. I got to imagine with like a crazy look, like, yeah, that's really likely. Like, why would the devil shoot himself? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You guys obviously are, are scrambling for some explanation. He says, that's not, that's not what's happened here. But then he says these words. He says, but... If I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. In other words, he's saying, what's really happening is you're seeing the demonstration of the power of the kingdom. And then Jesus goes into this powerful teaching. He says, for when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. It's one of these parables. The strong man is going to represent Satan. So when a strong man is fully armed, so he's got all of his weapons and he's guarding his palace, his possessions, and that would be the human, is safe. Until, come on, somebody, let's start preaching right now. Until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him. That's who we have. That's our Jesus and that's our champion. So you had this strong man and he's got, he's got those people under his control until, come on, until Jesus shows up. Let's all say that. Until Jesus shows up. Tell your neighbor and say, until Jesus shows up. So Jesus shows up. And what does he do? 
He strips the, the armor off of, off of the enemy. He strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Paul says almost the same thing in Colossians. He says he forgave our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it all away by nailing it to the cross. See, this is a real interesting insight into spiritual warfare. You see how Satan works, how he gets control over you is he's tempting you into disobedience. And once you and I follow his leadership into disobedience, now he has something to accuse us with. And the longer the list of accusations against us, the more defeated and the more overpowered we feel. But here comes Jesus, man, come on. And he took all of that record and he nailed it to the cross. So all of the accusation that the enemy had against us is now nailed to that cross, no longer standing in authority over you and me. We are free in Jesus. Come on, man, we are free in Jesus. So he disarms these spiritual rulers and authorities and he shames them publicly by his victory on the cross. Satan tried everything he could to keep, to keep Jesus from the cross and he victoriously shamed the enemy by giving his life on the cross. So let's go back to the parable. Then Jesus says these powerful words. He's just talked about the strong man who meets an even stronger man, come on. And then he says these powerful words. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. In this spiritual war, there is no neutrality. There is no Switzerland. There's no place where you cannot be on a side. Jesus is saying, you're either on my side working with me. I'm either your king or I'm not your king. And if I'm not your king, then you got another king and he's got a forked tongue and he's leading you to hell. Are you with me? There's, a, there's no middle ground here. See, that's what we think. We think we can just kind of experience the good parts of Jesus, right? Without the king parts of Jesus, right? It's like, I want the savior, but I don't want the king. I want him to free me so I can go about my life my own way, but I don't, you know, want to look like kind of surrender my life to Jesus. And Jesus says, there's no, that, that this is how it works. And then he gives another story. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns. Guys, don't be surprised Satan returns. Just be surprised if he finds your house empty and swept. Because if he finds your house empty and swept, neither, neither filled with the spirit or filled with the fruits of God, then what will happen is terrible. Then the spirit finds other spirits more, seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there so that the person is worse off than before. How is the person worse off than before? Because that person has tasted the freedom of Jesus and has not experienced the victory. He's tasted what it means to kind of understand, yeah, there's, there's power. I can, I can see that there's something to this thing. But because they don't walk out that freedom, they don't protect that freedom, they don't let their lives be guided by that freedom, they end up in a worse state because now they've been inoculated to the truth. Just enough to keep them inoculated to the truth. Some of the hardest people I've ever talked to about Jesus are former Christians who say, yeah, I knew all about that. I know the Bible. I tried that God stuff. 
you tried that God stuff. Sometimes if I wasn't a pastor, I was like, I want to slap you. <laughs> you don't try that God stuff. You surrender to God is what you do. Right? You don't try God. Right? Okay, let, me, let me riff on this for a second. Okay, here it is. If you think you're trying God, like you're trying a new car, I'm going to try that, I'm going to test drive, you have the wrong complete start of this whole thing, right? That is not how you experience God's freedom, by giving him a test drive, right? That isn't what it is. You don't do that with a king. You either surrender to a king or you better fight that king because that king is either going one way or the other. Are you with me on this? You're either for him or you're against him. And this is where I think the entire spiritual war comes to this head. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says these words. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and wickedness. That's who you were. Which led even deeper into sin. But now, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living. No middle ground. You're either a slave over here or you're a slave over here. You're either following King Jesus or you're following the other king, right? You, and he's a counterfeit, but he still thinks he's king, right? But you've got to make that decision. I am a slave to righteous living. In Galatians chapter five, it says it this way. For you have been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. That's not why he set you free. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Guys, can I just tell you something? Many of us have not broken through the roadblocks in our life, not because there's not power in Jesus, but because we have quenched the power of Jesus. Not because there's not the ability to knock over any obstacle, any proud, pretentious thought, that would dare stand in front of King Jesus. That's not the problem. The problem is that I am quenching the power of the Spirit to break those obstacles. Can I say this to you? Spirit-filled love destroys roadblocks. When you are filled with God's Spirit and so with His love, it's as if, and it's so unlikely, isn't it? You think you have to meet power with power. <laughs> That's not it. God loves to show his power in your weakness. It's when you just say, I'm going to love my enemies and so defeat them. I'm going to pray for those who hurt me and so win them. I'm going to give my life and try to try to keep my life. I'm going to lay it down. Guys, it's when we give and, we filled with, and we're filled with love. Some of you are in marriages that have roadblocks just waiting for one of you to love the other one, to keep no record of wrong, come on. To disarm the, the battle, not by a better argument, but by self-sacrificing love, come on. Some of you right now, you're in a situation at work, you're in a situation with, a, with, 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 with somebody and, and you think that that person's your enemy, that person's not your enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, guys. It's the ideas that are planted in your mind and in their mind. Guys, who's going to surrender to Jesus first? That's who wins. Come on. So look at Romans 12 as we wrap up. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. This is Pastor Paul. And he's begging. 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God. That's another way of saying, be a slave of God's because of all he has done for you. He's so good. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then look what he says. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing, the rewiring of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here it is, the Roadblock series. Root out the lies, replace them with the truth, and renew your mind. As we wrap it up, I wanna give you something really practical and it's gonna require some homework because I really want this series to hit you. I love this book, Winning the War of Your Mind by Greg Rochelle, and I want you to read it if you haven't. You can get it on Audible. For those who don't like to read, just listen to it. But he ends his book, or somewhere in his book, he, he has these beautiful like weapons, and I wanna give them to you, a couple examples, okay? This is how we're gonna weaponize this truth. Are you ready to do that? Come on. So here's what he does. He thinks about a roadblock. So you think about your roadblock. Again, imagine us back having coffee, and I ask you, how free are you? And I start poking on different things. You're like, yeah, actually, I, I, have, I have a real problem with money. I'm just always worried about money. I'm always worried I don't have enough. Like, I'm not free when it comes to money at all, okay? So here's what he says. I love this. He's taken scripture, all the truths about money, and he's made them into a statement. They're like a spiritual bullet, okay? Let me read it to you. Money is not and never will be a problem for me. My God, come on, is an abundant provider who meets my every need. I, because I am blessed, I will always be a blessing. I will lead the way with irrational generosity because I know it's truly much more blessed to give than to receive. Is that not good? Come on. The next time you're, you're anxious about money, you need to get your Bible, guys. Come on. You need to get your Bible. You need to read about what God says about his provision for your life. He isn't promising you to provide every want or every you know, desire you have, but he will take care of your needs. You claim that in scripture and you pray that back. When the enemy puts that seed of doubt in your ear to say, well, he can't be trusted. You take God's word just like Jesus did and you quote that right back to the enemy and say, get behind me, Satan, because this is what's true. That's the money one. Here's the next one. I like these. These are so good, guys. I could get, go on and on. Here's another one. This is when you're stressed. Who wants one? You guys ever feel stressed? Okay, here we go. It's like a prayer. When I am stressed or in distress, I turn to God, not food. I don't know if he had a food problem, but okay, okay. I come to Jesus because he is what I really need. He is my strength, my fortress, and my refuge. Come on. So whatever your escape thing is, right? Pornography, whatever, you know, when I'm feeling this way, I will not go here. Here is where I'm going because Jesus is what I really need. I do not need another quick fix, a quick instant gratification that leads me hurting and leads me in bondage. No, I'm going to the Prince of Peace, the one who unlocked the chains of my prison. That is who I really need. And I will go there instead of that other place every time. You tell yourself this, you get a no card church and you write it out. This is what I'm purposing to do. And then I would say, and then go on a prayer walk. Okay, last one, last one. God is for me. 
Some of you need to hear this right now. God is for me. Who can be against me? God is working all things together for my good. And I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves me and gives me strength. Guys, that's how you weaponize scripture. That's how you fight the spiritual battle. You don't leave the sword in the sheath by the bed. You pick it up. You get the Bible out. You start writing out whatever your roadblock is, and you start knocking down the roadblocks in the power of the Spirit because he's giving you all you need. You just got to say, Lord, I'm yours. Can I get an amen to that church? So are we going to let these roadblocks keep us back or are we going to march ahead and knock down these obstacles? Guys, I want to see this church be so free. I want us, when we meet people, they just can't explain it. Like you just have peace. You just, you just, you just seem so free. Like if somebody talks to you and, and you sense like, a, 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 like they're going through a hard time, it's like your heart is easily sharing with them because you're freed from pride and ego. You just are available to minister. What if our church was that kind of church? What if everybody in, in the city of Henderson that met us instantly felt like, wow, I met someone who actually has time to care for me. They're being fueled by something. I don't know what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. And they're just, wow. Can we stand together, church? And I want to pray a blessing over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for freedom in this place. In the name of Jesus, I pray that we stop quenching the spirit, the power that's available, that we stop allowing the lies of the enemy to trick us out of our freedom, to deceive us into bondage. I pray, Lord, that you would break those strongholds, that we would take scripture and use it as that weapon it's supposed to be, and that we would defeat the lies of the enemy, God. For those who are in stuck places right now, God, give them new hope, give them new freedom, God, give them a brother or a sister to walk with them, to come alongside of them when they're discouraged, to remind them, when they need someone to pray for them, to intercede for them. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And the church says,